Welcome to the March 2012 episode of the Harvard Medical Labcast, science that's changing your world. This podcast is produced in Boston by Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations. I'm Alyssa Neller. And I'm Alan Leo. This month, we'll learn about a new tool that's helping radiologists screen for breast cancer. We'll also hear how 3D tissue models are enhancing our understanding of the disease. Finally, we'll meet a radiologist who tackles her cases like a detective. We begin with a scene that's familiar to many of our listeners. So what I'd like you to do is just step right up here, and I'll be positioning you. And I'm going to stop my compression now. That's technologist Irene Gallagher at Mass General West Imaging in Waltham. She's positioning a patient for a mammogram. That is, she's compressing the patient's breasts between two clear plates that are attached to a camera. But this is no ordinary mammogram machine. It's a digital breast tomosynthesis machine that was invented at Massachusetts General Hospital by HMS professor of radiology Daniel Copans and his team. Elizabeth Rafferty, instructor in radiology, led the clinical trials resulting in FDA approval of the device. That approval came in 2011, and tomosynthesis is now poised to change breast cancer screening across the country. Director of Education and Program Development in Breast Imaging, Phoebe Freer, explains. The camera, rather than staying stationary over the patient, actually moves at an arc over the patient so that as it moves over that arc, it takes a series of 15 very low-dose images. Just stop breathing, please. Those images are then reconstructed near instantaneously. Fine, you may breathe. And just step away, please. I'm just going to look at my image here on the machine. What Gallagher sees is very different from the image produced by a conventional mammogram machine. Tomo is derived from the Greek word for section, and tomosynthesis makes a 3D image from a set of flat sections. The 3D image on Gallagher's screen is loaded with information for a radiologist. So instead of getting a single overview of the breast in compression at its whole thickness, you actually are look, being able to look at one millimeter slice at a time through the breast tissue. And that gives them a big advantage. You eliminate one of the major problems with mammogram, which is the superimposition of overlapping breast tissue. Cancer appears as white masses on mammograms. When normal tissue overlaps, it also looks white on the image, which can cause confusion. This happens a lot with mammograms from younger women who tend to have denser breast tissue. In patients who have very dense breast tissue, you can't see through their normal glandular tissue, which also looks white on a mammogram, and therefore you can't pick out the cancers. On the tomosynthesis, because you're able to reconstruct at one millimeter slice thickness, you get rid of a lot of that tissue overlap. So radiologists can spot cancer that might be hiding. The power of the new tool becomes apparent when Freer reads images from a real patient. Here we have a mammogram uh, screening ex examination on a 56-year-old patient. So she looks completely normal, and 10 out of 10 radiologists would pass this exam as normal. There's no cancer depicted here. We can then scroll over to our tomosynthesis images, and as we page through these images, we actually see out laterally in the breast this small mass with spiculated margins. It looks like a little star and is a textbook uh, example of a cancer. In this case, the 3D images allowed the team at Mass General to catch the cancer early and begin treating it. So tomosynthesis is clearly helpful in diagnosing disease. It's also proving valuable in ruling out cancer. Radiologists can take a closer look at white masses that appear suspect before worrying patients. One of the major reasons um, women get called back from a screening exam turn out to be from benign tissue 
just a normal screening study, but it was read as abnormal because there was a question of whether or not there was an asymmetry or a mass on that mammogram. But with tomosynthesis, radiologists can examine the area in more detail to determine if it's actually a problem before speaking with the patient. Because you don't have that tissue overlap problem, you can see through that tissue and prevent many women from being called back for a false positive study. So they actually don't have to deal with the anxiety of being called back for additional imaging and can be told straight off the bat that their screening study is normal. Since Mass General began offering tomosynthesis last year, the callback rate has decreased by more than 25%. That translates to a lot less anxiety. The improved accuracy could influence a heated debate over breast cancer screening. In 2009, a federal task force recommended that most women delay receiving mammograms until they turn 50. The task force cited anxiety associated with false positives as a major reason women should not undergo screening during their 40s. All of the major professional societies disagree, maintaining that clinical data supports early screening and detection. Tomosynthesis may strengthen their case. It's also a boon to breast surgeons. Here's Michelle Specht, a surgical oncologist at the hospital and an instructor at HMS. So for patients who are having a workup of a specific problem, it's been helpful in identifying where the lesion may be in that third dimension, which from a surgical perspective is very important. She's excited to explore other applications. We're really enthusiastic to continue to do further research to help with other elements of the treatment of breast cancer, meaning maybe use it for looking at extent of disease and therefore help in terms of mapping out where a lumpectomy should be performed in order to try to maximize the likelihood of removing all the tumor at the first operation. The Mass General team is optimistic about the future of tomosynthesis. They've trained more than a thousand radiologists across the country to read the 3D images. The feedback has been positive from medical professionals and from patients. For now, patients who opt for tomosynthesis still receive a standard mammogram as part of their breast cancer screening. The tomosynthesis simply supplements the conventional exam with both sets of images gathered in a single session. The combined radiation dose is still very low, but Freer would like to see it even lower. There may come a day when the standard mammogram is no longer required. So I think tomosynthesis will be the new gold standard and replace mammography within the next uh, five years at most sites just because of its benefit. In cancer, your own cells grow unchecked, dividing over and over again. And cancer begins when something goes wrong with just one cell when a mutant arises with cancer-causing potential. In fact, such mutant cells are not that uncommon, and our bodies are normally quite good at keeping them in check. But sometimes, a renegade escapes the safeguards all around it and begins to multiply like crazy. How does this happen? Until now, it's been hard to say. In part, that's because it's easier to study the effects of mutations in large populations of cells but it is far more difficult to study one mutant cell surrounded by normal cells. The neighborhood, you might say. So researchers in the lab of Joan Brugge, chair of the HMS Department of Cell Biology, have been building neighborhoods. They've created 3D tissue models to watch how cancer grows and how the neighborhood fights back. In a study published recently in Nature, Chuck Lung, a research fellow in the Brugge Laboratory, used one of the models to explore breast cancer. 
he developed a technique to turn on cancer genes in a single cell within clusters of breast cells. He found that the mutant cell needs two things to escape the neighborhood watch and begin forming a tumor. Here's Lung. The tumor-initiating cells has to move away from the neighborhood that's keeping them in check and also acquire the ability to survive in a new neighborhood. These two abilities are required for cancer-causing cells to proliferate. Several genes conferred one ability or the other, and one known cancer gene did both. The team plans to look closer at how the normal tissue environment keeps cancer cells in check to see what else can be learned from the neighborhood watch. Back in the clinic, HMS professor of radiology Tina Young-Poussant helps diagnose cancer. She works at Children's Hospital Boston, where she is director of the Neuroimaging Center of the Pediatric Brain Tumor Consortium. I had a chance to chat with Poussant about what it's like to be a radiologist. I would imagine that radiologists often operate behind the scenes. So how does being a radiologist influence the doctor-patient relationship? Do you get to know the patient from the inside out? So what happens usually is a patient is referred for a, a study. Then the patient usually does come to the Department of Radiology and um, has the test done there. We may or may not meet that person, but we do interact with the referring clinician when we actually give the report. So that means that sometimes there are some patients um, that you haven't met, and so the first time that you're really seeing that patient is as an image, is that right? Yes, that's true. How do you think about that? How do you get your arms around that? You have to just always remember the humanity of the person and looking at the image. So we try to, to remember that, and in certain cases, especially if there's an interventional procedure or if you need further information, we do go out and try to meet the patient and get further information directly from the patient. Do you enjoy when you get to go out and meet that patient? Yes, I do, because it puts a face to radiology, um, which is very important because some patients don't know that there is a, such a thing as a radiologist. I'm curious if you think of yourself as a sort of detective. Oftentimes patients come in with uh, particular symptoms that might indicate something, so some scans are ordered, you're taking a look at these scans. Do you ever think of yourself in that moment as a detective? Um, I think of myself as a detective in that I have to try to take the clues of the symptoms and signs and try to integrate that with parts of the brain that, or spine that I know that there could be an abnormality. And I have to have a systematic way of looking at these images. So tell me about maybe a particular case where you were looking at a CT scan or an MRI and realized that this might be a tumor and this wasn't a child. So I can think of a case where a child was referred for headaches and maybe a large head circumference. And in the process of that child being imaged and um, obtaining the images, one could see that there was an abnormality that looked like a tumor. And this patient had come in as an outpatient with their parents, and of course their parents wouldn't expect this and we wouldn't want to find this, but indeed that this was an abnormality that was present. And as a radiologist, are you part of the team that actually tells the parents and the patient? I've had to go and tell the parents that we were very unfortunate to see that there was an abnormality and it's very difficult because it's bad news to share with people that you've just met. But I try to make sure that the other clinicians, the clinicians that will be providing the information about what uh, will be done to treat this patient, 
are lined up so that the parents don't have to go home and, and worry, but can speak to some other experts at Children's Hospital to help them navigate the next steps uh, in the care of their child. How do you prepare yourself for that, and how do you maintain your energy and your ability to move through the day and, and your job with these really intense situations? Well, fortunately, these intense situations are not always frequent. And in terms of that type of thing, one reason one goes into medicine is one wants to help people who are sick and to um, keep people who are healthy, healthy. And so I think part of it is it does involve some difficult situations. To learn more about Dr. Poussant, check out Harvard Medicine Magazine, where you'll find a Q&A with her in the winter 2012 issue. Find it online at harvardmedicine.hms.harvard.edu. Thanks for listening to the March episode of the Harvard Medical Labcast. We'll leave you with this statistic from the National Cancer Institute. In the United States, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during her lifetime. Early detection and treatment saves lives. This podcast is a production of Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations, and we'd love to hear your comments on this program. Tell us what you think and see what other listeners are saying at hms.harvard.edu slash podcasts. To learn more about Harvard Medical School, its academic and research programs, and its affiliated hospitals and research institutes, visit hms.harvard.edu.